0: Good morning, everyone. Well, I have this week, and then next week, and the week after that, my schedule changes. This is nice. Sleeping in, I got up about 6.30 today, went for a nice walk in a nature preserve that's about a quarter mile away from me. There's kind of an animal hospital there. This, if you ever uh, would like to go to this, it's uh, on Park in Glenallen, just about where COD is there, and they take in animals and uh, fix. You know, if something is going to die, they they take care of it. But I can go in the back way, and there's a pair of sandhill cranes there, and they're they're beautiful. They mate for life. It's interesting. Uh, but I was I was walking in there, but I was also beginning to dread something because two weeks from now I start class in Chicago at. 8 o'clock, which means I get on the 522 train, all right? So would everybody just say, aw, thank you, yeah. I get up about 4.30, I feel better now, but I'll feel worse then. But it's good to be with you today, very good. We're going to speak today, think today, interact today about leadership. Some of you have some stuff stuck in your craw because you think certain people don't lead the way you'd like them to. But what about you? You lead? So, you see, that's always what the preacher does. He pulls you in. He gets you condemning other people, and then bang, right? So we're, we're going to think here about leadership. Everybody is a leader in some capacity. It may not be political, it, uh, but in some way, in jobs, in families, in a civic organization, in the church, almost everyone has some kind of leadership responsibility or opportunity. I like to talk to you about grandchildren, about great-grandchildren. You have opportunities at times to lead, to have input with them. Well, the the scriptures, we believe, don't we, are inspired. They are inerrant in the original manuscripts. So we come before them today. We humble ourselves before the Word of God so that the Holy Spirit of God may change us. Oh, do we ever need change? Leaders are in a tough position. I would not want to be a mayor, let alone a governor, let alone a president. You see President Bush who turned from a really, really young guy to one not so young. During his term, I think I don't know this, but I think you lose about three years for every one in office, in your appearance. Uh, President Obama has notably, in my mind, uh, decreased in his appearance. Just just think of waking up in the morning with the world on your shoulders. Tough. Do you know we are told we are commanded in Scripture. To pray for our governing authorities. To pray for them. 1 Timothy chapter 2. You start out there. It's about prayer. And we're to pray for the governing authorities. So that we might live peaceable lives. So that the gospel can spread. And you say, well, what if we don't like the leaders? Do you know the leaders for which the New Testament church was praying were outright persecutors of the church, outright persecutors, and they were still told to pray. So I just want to dismiss that right away. If you have some problems with certain leaders, and that's going to keep you from learning today, one thing is, write down 1 Timothy 2.1, your main obligation is to pray. Your main obligation is not to complain. Now, we have a right, I suppose, as Americans, to say whatever we please, but we have an obligation as Christians to pray for governing authorities. Who else needs it more? But the book of Proverbs, now we're back, remember, to getting street smarts, to leading in the capacities which we're given. Hopefully, you have some handouts before you that will help you uh, follow along. One of my colleagues at Moody, Rosalie de Rosé, she has her doctorate in literature. She's sharp. She has that doctorate, and then she has a a master of divinity, so she's studied all the pastoral stuff, too. She did a piece for Moody Radio on President Bush Jr., because a lot of people made him out to be kind of a buffoon. Well, I, last time I knew, he graduated from Harvard. And she said also that uh, he read about 90 books a year, Nine zero, 90 books a year, even while president And he read through his Bible every year while he was president. You could probably look that, look that up on the internet. Uh, Rosalie DeRose on President Bush. It was a piece on one of the programs there. I wonder how much Bible reading you do. I said the President of the United States read all the way through the Bible while he was in office every year. How long does it take? It takes about 15 minutes a day. You say, oh, no, no, that can't be true. It's true. Would I come here and lie to you? 15, 20 minutes a day. Now, that, that isn't That doesn't mean you can stop and think for five minutes and go look up what this means and so on. But just Bible reading. Now that's seven days a week. You can't, well, I did it one day this week. That'll get you through the Bible every seven years. But read the Bible. There is nothing that your pastor can say that will be enough. There's nothing I can say that will be enough. We need to read our Bibles. Read them. This is what it is. This is the Bible, right? Open it up and read. There are all kinds of schedules you can get. Some people like to read through it chronologically. You know the books of the Bible are not, are not put together chronologically. They're put together by genre. That means the poetry is together. The prophetic material is together. The, uh, the Gospels Are Together, and so on. But you can go online, find that. But I encourage you to read the Bible like President Bush Jr. did. I really like him as an example of someone whose life changed and then who changed lives. Uh, he was a not on a good track as a young man. He was an alcoholic. He was frittering his life away. Uh, Somewhere along the line, Jesus Christ got a hold of him and his life changed. Now, I know that about election time, almost every politician gets the religion. I understand. It's good at the polls. But what he has is real, in my estimation. It's real. Let's get into this... uh, Today, want to talk about leadership on several levels. First, a good leader is dependent on wisdom in general. Let's look at this. Chapter 8 of Proverbs 15 through 21. I'll read this. The first two verses tell us of the benefits of a leader listening to wisdom, then wisdom is personified after that. By personification, I mean then wisdom takes on the part of a person who talks. Verse 15, By me kings reign, and rulers make laws that are just. By me princes govern, and all nobles who rule on the earth. If they are wise, if they are discerning, they come to the text for guidance. By me, kings reign. Now this this means if they did, they would profit from it. It doesn't mean all kings do. That is clear, isn't it? Now, wisdom speaks in verses 17 and following. She says this, I love those who love me. The person gives himself, gives herself to biblical wisdom. I will deliver. There will be a return for that, that is good. There will be a life that is better for having lived in this fashion. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Now remember, these are not promises. But overall, if a person lives a wise life, it goes well for for you. Now, verse 19... My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. Well, think of having a life of contentment, of inner joy and consistency, of having good relationships, better than anything money can buy. Ebenezer got converted just in time but his life could have been a lot better had he been wise beforehand. I love that movie. Every year I have to watch it, the George C. Scott version only. The earlier ones give me the willies. But George C. Scott version, that is truly a picture of somebody being born again to something better. Because he got the picture finally. It's not all about money. So he started to live wisely. My fruit is better than fine gold and what I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Now I do think he is speaking here about finances, but it goes beyond that, doesn't it? In this book, treasuries are full of things that go far beyond money. Now as you're reading Proverbs, it's a great book. It wasn't laid out this way on purpose, I don't think, but it has 31 chapters. That means if you wanted to, you could read a chapter of Proverbs every day. You'd always know what one to go to. Then you get to the end of the week and you do chapters 30 and 31. I did this for a number of years. I'm not doing it right now because I have some other uh, pursuits spiritually. But what a thing to do. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Just wake up in the morning. Let's see, what proverb will I read today? What day is it? Okay. Read it. Your life will change. You will be able to lead better, to counsel better. Once in a while, somebody's going to ask you, what is your opinion on this? Well, I don't want them to have my opinion. I want them to get what God has for them. Did some of you get back from vacation? This group... Looks larger today. It's longer. (laughs) Sir, are you hiding from me back there? Okay. So, yeah, there are a couple more tables. That's great. Maybe you just set it up differently. We get a return. We get a return for what we put in. Now, here's just a perception. This is true of any congregation. Some of you are sitters, and some of you are miners. The sitters just wait there and hope the gold dust falls down on them from somebody else. The miner gets into the text. So, I challenge you. I encourage you. Now see, this isn't the first time you've ever been told to read the Word of God, right? You've heard this before. All right. But if you get in to the text, it will deliver riches to you. I promise. Well, here are some things now that come from a mother. These Boy, what mother doesn't caution a kid about women and booze? <laughs> Here it is, chapter 31. Verses 10 through 31 are the ideal woman, but this is not... Uh, about her, this is about leadership. And it comes, these are the sayings of King Lemuel. Remember, most of the Proverbs are from Solomon. But this is from a King Lemuel. We don't know exactly who he is, but he collected them. It's his collection, not from him. An oracle, his mommy taught him. The king was taught these things by a mother. I want to take just a parenthetical stop here for a second. Timothy was the young companion of Paul. Timothy, uh, Paul had all kinds of people around him. Do you? That he was pouring his life into. Paul gets a bad rap. Almost anything that people don't want to do, they say, well, Paul had bad motivation about this and that. Paul was directed by God to write and say the things he did. He had people all around him that were good young people. He had men and women around him. Timothy and Titus were two pastors that he mentored. Then he sent them out Timothy had a dad who didn't give a hoot about the things of God, apparently. Uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother were Jewesses. His dad, from what we can gather, was a Greek who was disinterested completely in the things of faith. But his grandmother and his mother brought him up in the scriptures. From his youth, he was taught that the word of God is breathed out and is profitable. That was grandma and his mother that poured into him. But anyway, here's another mother, and she has this concern. Verse 3. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. Oh, there's so much at times in a plural. Women doesn't say, "Don't invest yourself in a woman." It's women that will get you into trouble, right? I listened to a group called Herman's Hermits when I was growing up. You were probably too well. Never mind. You, it was probably, uh, yeah, you were interested in other things at that time. Probably this is this is the pericomal group or something? Yeah. Anyway, okay. anyway, Herman's Hermits. There was a song there they sang called Dandy. And there is a line in there. Two girls are too many. Three's a crowd. And four, you're dead. <laughs> now they were, I don't know if they practiced what they sang or not. But here, look at this. Do not spend your strength on women. A leader needs self-control. And we have had in our country too many Republicans, yes, and Democrats, who lack self-control. It's a poor example to a nation. It's a poor example to their children. They devastate their mates with this stuff. So one of the things a leader needs to practice is self-control with the opposite sex. Don't dissipate all your energy chasing. you imagine how much energy that could take? I don't know. I know I have this in me uh, because I am fallen. We've been over that. I know I have it in me, but I haven't done it. I, I just can't imagine... The energy that takes and the money, the lives, the cover up, then to be a leader when you have all of these people depending on you. pray for your pastors, pray for yourself, I review you are leaders. you say, well, you know we're past the time when we can get it, no, you're not I have Students who have ministries in uh, some retirement homes, which are pits of immorality. We, I'm not saying they all are, I'm just saying many people there are immoral. But leaders are to contain themselves because there's too much at stake. It goes on here right in the context. Well, thanks, Mom, for that. But he goes on, she goes on here, now to speak about the use of alcohol. Now, I believe the biblical position is this. You may use it, but do not get drunk. If you begin to in any way lose your judgment, lose your capacity, you've gone too far into sin. Now there are reasons not to drink at all. I'm not going into them today because really the biblical position is you may, but it must be moderate. Drunkenness is sin. But here she says to him as a leader, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer. lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. When there is a leadership decision to be made, you better be clear-headed. That's a big one. Boy, any time you are ready to make a big decision, a prayerful decision, you better get away from the booze, and make it with a clear head, because it's a big deal. You say, well, the guy came from Moody, said we should be abstentionists. I did not. I said the biblical position is you may, but not too much, where you begin to lose your capacity. Look. If you do, you can lose track of what God says. Because of our depravity, oh boy, you're on that a lot. You're on that depravity. What's that depravity? It means this, we can do nothing to remedy our fallen condition. That our orientation is naturally away from God rather than toward him. The idea that we are basically good is a lie. That's psychology, not theology. It's secular psychology. That is a lie. We're not born as a clean slate. We're born fallen. So the point here is we tend away from God rather than toward him. We tend away from him. So it's easy for us to forget when our senses get dulled, we need to be careful. Well, the stuff we have today also It's powerful. It's fortified. Now, the the wine in the New Testament was not grape juice, all right? Every once in a while, I'll preach on this, and if I say the biblical position is, you may, but be careful, I will get material from a certain organization that tells me that what was in the New Testament was grape juice. Well, now, okay, here's Ephesians 5. Do not get drunk on grape juice. No, it just just doesn't work. It doesn't work. But what I'm saying today is compared to what they had, our stuff is, boom, fortified. It's got much, 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 much more punch. So you have to be careful. You have to watch out for the punch in the punch. Note the awful thing here, one of the worst things a leader can do is to deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Now the oppressed are usually the poor in a society. And when a leader neglects the poor, he has sinned against God and if he's a party animal he's out all the time chasing and drinking he forgets his responsibilities now i know what you're thinking yes but some of these some of these people they're just on the dole yes some are but some have needs the church i attend right now i really like what is happening because we're spending a lot of money on the poor in accountable situations. He has said this, our pastor has said all the western suburbs, they're moving west, they're west they're running away from the people who are coming from the east because we, honestly here now we believers sometimes do not like poor people don't want to be around after all They ruin our property values. Right? Oh, you say, oh man, now now you're getting hot. Yeah, this is just getting started. But we're running west. We're running west. We're running west. He said, our church will turn around to the east and help people. Our church has adopted Jefferson Middle School, which is the worst uh, resourced middle school in DuPage County. The children do not have materials to bring. Uh, Teachers are spending their salary just to give them pencils and so on. So we take in these big packs of stuff, spend a lot of money, hundreds and thousands of dollars every fall, give them to the teachers. It started about three years ago. And then the teachers are able to distribute this And over time, we've earned the right now to go into that school and mentor young people one on one. Every month, every person in this room should be giving something for the poor. Adopt a child overseas. $25 a month, you can give them more than they've ever had. You give them a chance in life. You get all into yourself. You see this thing about chasing and boozing and all of that. You get into a certain lifestyle where you just forget about other people. But a leader can't do that. Caring for the poor has to be on the agenda of every responsible leader and party there could be. Everyone has to have a plan to take care of poor people. You say, yes, but, but, yeah. I know the buts, but don't forget the commandment. Okay? Do we have any amens out there? They're faint. They're faint this morning. Okay. Amen. Yeah, boy. Every month. Every month. You should do something for poor. now. I'm, this sounds like I don't think you are. I don't know. You probably maybe you are. Maybe you're doing more than I do. But you should be doing something for the poor. Otherwise, see. Otherwise, it comes across this way. Yeah, we think we're pretty hot. Yeah, we're we're way up above them. You're not that far above. Not really at all in God's eyes. Not at all. God, he cares about the poor. You read James chapter 2. He hates the hypocrisy of rich people being held up in the church and the poor ignored. He hates it. He said, knock that off. You don't show any favoritism to rich people. I'm displeased with that. James 2, 1 through 13. Well, anyway, but here's what the mom says watch out with the opposite sex, be careful there, and then have sober minded administration. There are special responsibilities that go along with leadership. Make your big decisions with a clear head. There is also now, verse 4, advocacy for the underclass. This goes on. You say, well, we've heard enough about that. Well, we really haven't yet. it goes on. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the, what's that word? Defend the rights of the who? And the needy. Defend those. Now, those who speak, who can't speak up for themselves, uh, I think this also applies to children in the womb. No one could deny today that this is a fully viable human being very early. You see the pictures you know the press today will not give us a picture? That would turn around abortion in a hurry if the press gave us a regular picture of that little child in the amniotic fluid about 21 weeks old, and you can see the human being. The Vietnam War ended on pictures. The Civil Rights Movement was stoked by pictures, but we're not given that picture today because if we were, people would be breaking down the doors at some politicians' offices. But we need to stick up. If you're going to be a leader, you need to stick up for people who can't open up their mouths. This is not only the child in the womb, but this is the, the person with, with uh, severe autism. This is the person with Down syndrome. We need to have our arms around them, caring for them. I don't want to throw, you know, just be an alarmist and things, but we really need to have our guard up as as medical care gets more and more expensive. It's just easier for more and more people to be considered obsolete not really part of an important society, will put them away. Uh, We will not take measures to have them live when they are are delivered from their mother's womb. If they have certain conditions, better watch out on that one. And you do not ever advise your grandchild or great-grandchild to abort a fetus. Where there is a known deformity. If you do, you set forth your hand against God Himself. We need to open up our mouths and speak for those that can't speak for them. That's a leadership responsibility for everyone. Yes. Let's get that traveling mic.
1: Uh, When you saw the results of the Jackson sentence, uh, many of his constituents were very irate with the sentence he had gotten, and he had the best lawyers. Now, what about the other people that, you know, with the poor, they get the public defender, so my son is a public defender, but they have such a caseload that they can't really um prepare the way they want to even if they're working 50 60 hours a week mm-hmm. so that's uh we had somebody in our Sunday school class uh, teaching uh, that is running a legal society out here because in DuPage County uh some of those kinds of services aren't available and in terms of medical service um you know churches like lawndale have all this where the people can go in Yes,
0: lawndale that. Christian Center mm-hmm. yeah yes but
1: But out here, when you you get into DuPage, uh, I had a student that had impacted Wisdom Teeth, a college-age student. And I was trying to find a place where she could go because she didn't have dental insurance. Yeah. And she did not have the money to get that taken care of, and she was in pain. So, you know, we're out here. And it's not like you're ignoring it, but I don't think we're aware of the lack of medical and legal uh, services uh, that are available to people without money, and the quality of them also.
0: Yes. The Christian Legal Society is a great organization. Their, uh, part of their code of ethics is to represent pro bonum people who do not have representation. It would be uh perhaps something that someone here would want to do is to help advocate for some of these situations. Uh, it's important. It's important for the haves to share. You say, well, we don't want ours taken away from us involuntarily and, and given to somebody else. I understand that but then maybe you should just do some more voluntarily I mean when I say you that's I don't mean to prophetic I should say us that's more pastoral right us
2: Uh, bringing us uh, back several steps to your comments about President Bush and bringing us up to speed with what Carol said about Lawndale Uh, week ago last Sunday Gordon Wayne Gordon spoke regarding uh, offer the White Who's House. Who is
0: the pastor?
2: Yeah, Wayne Gordon's the pastor of Lawndale. Uh, received a phone call from the White House, President Bush, and uh, they wanted to know uh, a church that would uh, be uh, referable in a speech that President Bush was going to give, uh, subsequently in Nashville but the church that they referred to one of the partnerships that the Lawndale had they didn't feel they were uh, their program was strong enough so uh the um bush people uh recommended that uh, Wayne Gordon uh provide them with uh, resources for that speech in Nashville several weeks later and that that passed that, went to, that happened
0: yeah yeah it's great so this is If you don't know about Lawndale Christian Center, these are people, I I have a a student, one of my students is an optometrist who donates his time there once a day. So there there are medical personnel, there are optometrists, there are nurses who go down there and give their time. And that church has decided to make a difference in their community that way. But the idea out here in DuPage that we do not have poor, we have. We have. So um, part of my challenge today is, why don't you do something about it? What should we do? Well, think. There's a lot of smart people here. Maybe you're already doing something. Because I'm an outsider. It's easy. I told you, my wife has the car running today, like I say sometimes. (laughs) I'll be leaving right afterward.
2: So,
3: what is your opinion about whether or not it's better to uh, contribute as much as you contribute to your church, if you know that your church is involved in help for the poor, or should there there be uh, another amount besides what you give your church that you give specifically to uh, other organizations where you may
1: not be all that sure of their authenticity?
0: Well, that question is a little bit set up. I mean, not that you're (laughs) meaning to do that, but I'll I'll say it this way. I'll say it this way. I'll say it this way. I think you should heavily support the church where you attend. But uh, you're also free and responsible as a steward of money to to do other things if you're so enabled. There is um, a... Mark of authenticity that is put on evangelical organizations. It's called uh, the Council for Evangelical Accountability, something like that. You can see that stamp on those organizations. They have rigorous accountability, and I I trust those organizations. In our family, we um, we uh, have kids from Compassion International. My daughter is supporting. One and then my wife and I support a a kid from uh, World Vision, where uh, and I have I have students right now in graduate school. Uh, You just think of this: they're in graduate school, they're compassion children, who uh, started out living in garbage dumps. Uh, Someone got a hold of them, and they are doing graduate-level education. Do you know I am talking 25 measly dollars a month to get one of those kids out of the garbage dump into a graduate school preparing for ministry? 25 bucks a month. That, I mean, you know, come on. Okay. Appropriate show of force. There's appropriate show of force. Also oh oh wait, wait. Eleven fourteen, sorry about this. Well constructed plans. Eleven fourteen. Would someone read this eleven fourteen? Well constructed plans. What plan? Yeah. What plan? Uh, eleven fourteen.
2: For lack of guidance a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure.
0: Yes. So here's one of the things that a good, a good ruler gives is he gives guidance, but he also surrounds himself with smart people. I'm guessing for the most part this is probably a ra rah Reagan uh, group. I liked him. Uh, my dad, uh, he, Ronald Reagan was the first Republican my dad ever voted for. He'd voted for a lot of uh, Democrats. But uh, Ronald Reagan, I think it really is true that he went to sleep at some of his staff meetings. But he had really good people around him. Really, really, really good. Really good. This is an important thing, that a leader surround himself with the right kind of people. Remember when we're talking here, the the united monarchy, Saul, David, Solomon, and Solomon had a goofball son, Rehoboam, who didn't surround himself with the right kind of people. Instead of having the wise, experienced people around him, he got a bunch of young uh, punks that wanted to fight the opposition, and they split the kingdom. They split the kingdom. Oh, so when we're making decisions, you you don't just make it on your own, right? You say, okay, who who around in my circle has been through this? Who's got the expertise? Who has the spiritual wisdom to advise me? I'm going to go talk to them. What's the hurry, right? Right? Well, the decision's got to be made tomorrow, they say. Then the answer is no. That's always the answer. No. We've got to make the decision in a hurry. No. So you, you talk around, you pray, you get counsel, right? But this uh, sometimes this is translated without a vision, the people perish as if, you know, We have to cast this great vision. That's not really it. I think the, the idea here is counsel from the Scriptures. You've got to have that counsel from the Word of God in order to make good decisions. How are we doing Are you mad? Because I said the president went to sleep in his meetings. Okay. That's that's right, because well, I do that once in a while too, just like you, if it's a bad message, you know. But now anyway, so. you might have laid up working. There, there you go. I'm very tired. Yeah, okay. Yes.
3: With all due respect to everyone here in this room. Um You ask not what we can do for someone else. You know, it's very difficult to do
1: when our leaders are as dishonest as they are. And if I feel that way, what are our young people thinking? Leaders have so much at stake, and I fear they're not giving us the best of what they have. Thank you.
0: Well, I, I think that's true, I, but the issue is this. What will I do with my resources? What will I do with my resources? There's a lot of resources here that have nothing to do with the, with the presidency. There's nobody controlling that. This means you write out that check, you give it to a responsible Christian organization, you find the poor person in your community, give them some money, take care of them. This has nothing to do with the president. But I understand what you mean. You know, our tax money and all that. This is different. The New Testament church was in infinitely worse position than we are in. Infinitely worse. And one of the things that they did that helped turn the course of history is that they took care of the poor. They brought in the orphans. They loved the underclass. They used their resources unselfishly uh, in the midst of a hostile government that would have just let those people perish. So does the government... Does the government... uh, is it responsible with money? No, I mean that's that's the first order of finances, right? If none of us had to pay social security, we could all be millionaires. I mean, any okay, any goofball could take the social security money and turn it into a lot of money over time. Well, it's not our option. Uh, we we got that part, we got that, but we've all got some money. Let's not kid ourselves. And you can use that unselfishly. So don't let the government squander. I'm not saying you're making an excuse here. Don't let the government squandering money keep you from doing what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Because someday there will be accountability for that, right? And we won't be saying then, well, you know, the president, he teed me off, so I didn't, you know.
3: Enough, but there's a good it's opportunity. It's
0: starting to get hot in here, Betsy. Get the car warmed up.
3: <laughs> no, this is a good thing. Um, there's a good opportunity for people in the church to get involved in something like this. Our church sponsors a food bank oh, that takes place one uh, Saturday a month. And uh, it was last Saturday. There's a whole number of people from this church who participate. Ninety-six families were given food. And there's not only food, but there's also clothing that's given out then. Uh, People donate their time. Uh, People from this church have given clothing, they've given food. There is money spent, I think, at the food depository. Alta Foods donates a a whole truckload of food. So a lot of that, not a whole lot of money is involved, but a whole lot of people are served.
0: Boy, that's great. One of my... Former students, Daniel Bennett, thank you for that, has uh, written a book on adopting orphans. I'm not saying that this group right here would necessarily be interested in this. Do you know, though, there are some young couples who could really use your financial assistance in adoption if you really wanted for a child to be adopted instead of aborted? if you wanted to make it possible for a young couple with a lot of energy and not much money to adopt, it would be tremendous. This is something the Holy Spirit, I think, is working in the church today. There's enormous movement among young people to adopt children. There are churches where you go into that church and you can't even tell who what child belongs to whom. So great is the heart of those people to reach out and care. This
3: morning I brought in some things for the pantry. There's wooden bins out here and they're labeled for the various uh, assortment of things. And the slots aren't very big. Uh, so you I, I had things that were large packages of stuff. So you pull open the drawers and the drawers on all these things that I was putting them in were empty. Now I sure hope that that had just been emptied this morning. Yeah. But... It made me a little worried, a little discouraged when I saw that, and I thought, oh, gosh, I wonder.
0: But there's an opportunity there. I, I am a collector. My wife likes to get rid of things. I need to go into my own closet and just sort out things. You, know, you, you don't need five of something. You have two of something. You know, and, and yes.
2: Oh, how would you eliminate poor people, 7 billion people on earth, yep. beyond the capacity to feed them. Only one way to eliminate poor people limit population. That's well, the area we should focus
0: on. We will never eliminate poor people, but here is the big idea of the Good Samaritan story. You know that story. Here it is. Our neighbor is anyone whose need we know, whose need we have an opportunity to meet. That's our neighbor. You bring the person across the path, do something. Uh, No, poverty will never be eliminated, never. But we need to be active in this. God loves the poor. He cares for the poor. Yes? Agape, of goodwill. Yeah, it, the comment here is agape, this sacrificial love, this reaching out. The motivation for a lot of our giving, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, those are the chapters to read. You read those over again. Uh, sacrificial giving, from the heart, well-motivated. Uh, that is a key. The motivation... For our giving is what Christ has done for us. Not you're going to get in better for, with God if you give. No, salvation is by grace. When we trust in Christ, that righteousness is given to us. It's imputed. We don't earn it. But now flowing out of that needs to be life change. But leaders, here's the thing. We, it's easy to be down on leaders. And I want to return to you too and say your question is well-received. I don't mean to make it sound like a, a litany of stuff. Uh, it ticks me off when the government wastes money. They all waste money. All right? So in the interest of, okay, like uh, one, one, should I say this or not? Why not? Get it ready, Betsy. <laughs> one side wastes it on stamps. Another side wastes it on excessive military contracts. And the poor go uncared for. Woo-wee!
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just this easy. Look, I know how to come to a group and preach for the amens, to just to tell you all the stuff you want to hear, right? I know what station you watch and just say all that stuff, and you say, amen, amen. amen. That's not, no way, no way. All right.
2: Um, I want to give accolades uh, to uh, Salvation Army. Back uh, when I was teaching in Chicago, they had a program where you, could, I forget what they called it, which in which you could uh, deduct from your paycheck, uh, per month in one block, some, whatever, uh, for probably 200 charities. And I uh, took that opportunity to contribute to the Salvation Army because it was so easy, and they could take off my taxes. Uh, secondly, we um, have uh, involvement as a congregation and several other congregations in the uh, second week Saturday uh, with the pantry, food pantry. And, and, and thirdly, the last uh, item on that accolade is... Uh, friend of mine that has decided to uh, work full-time for the Salvation Army. And I just, again, uh, praise that effort.
0: Thank you.
3: Yes, there are so many
1: needs. But uh, we have one at the church here for uh, called the Shoebox Ministry, and that's for uh, uh,
3: children of incarcerated people. Yeah. It's a wonderful opportunity.
0: Yes, yes. We always go back to the children, don't we? Because, all right, maybe uh, maybe their parents are running an ac- a, a, a racket, but they're suffering. They're suffering. It's not their fault.
1: Can I just say something? Somebody was asking about the population control and, Part of the problem that happens is we go in with medical supplies, we keep, you know, more kids survive and so forth. But I think one of the things that really would help the population is when the women get educated and confident, because in so many societies... Uh, they have no role except to be barefoot and pregnant for the, their whole life. Sometimes they start them out getting married at 13 mm-hmm. and think about how many kids you can have, uh, you know, from puberty on to menopause. So and in some societies, it's an insurance for people to have a lot of children so that they will be taken care of in their old age. Well, things are changing now. So... Uh, One of the things that I I noticed is that um, when we have uh, Spirit Village, there was uh, a way to give money to, um, in certain groups, where they would give the women money to, seed money to start small businesses. Go get a goat and sell the milk or, you know, whatever. And I think if you follow those people, those women that got involved, in doing something like that, didn't have necessarily as big a brood as those that had no other hope for their life.
0: Yeah, well, helping people uh, help themselves and get skills—that's that, that's great. It's great. And confidence, too,
1: because you, where I teach, you see so many—you uh, know—oh, uh, are you married? They have children, and they'll go no, and and. So they were young girls who thought they had to go along with the guys' program, and there they are, 18, 19, 20 years old, with one or two kids. Well, if we can get those girls and give them the self-confidence, maybe they didn't have a relationship with their father, who knows what happened. But they need to be taught how to be young women of morals. Yeah. Standards and that they're worth something in themselves, not just for their body.
0: Yeah, well, yes, and the gospel needs to go out. People need to be converted, right? So it's not just uh, it's not just uh, being careful that we don't get pregnant. It is having a moral compass. We need conversion. So in all of the talk about uh, taking care of people financially, we need the gospel. Uh, We have people coming out of our evangelical churches today, young people, going and living with another person for four or five years before marriage. It's not acceptable to God. So the gospel needs to go out. That's always first in all of this. Well, I've got a couple minutes here. I'm going to hit one of these references. Appropriate show of force. Chapter 20, verse 8. When a king sits on his throne to judge, he winnows out all evil with his eyes. It It is a responsibility of a leader to know what's going on and to enforce righteousness. Charlie Dyer says here in his commentary, by carefully examining with his eyes... A case, a just king could detect evil motives and actions. It is important to enforce righteousness. We need people coming out of our churches who are soundly converted, entering in to national leadership, entering in to local leadership, making an impact. Uh, It's tough business. It's tough for a Christian to be in politics today. Tough. Someone needs to get in there and work for righteousness' sake. In all of this, what we need desperately is national revival. Because both political parties are shot through with corruption. If you have not stopped hoping in a political party, I hope that you stop. Now, I, I am somewhat politically involved. I pray. I, I, have, Each year I vote, I have some pretty strong feelings on which party best represents the interests of the gospel but I have long ago given up hope that a political party is going to change things. We need a national revival. Maybe it would start here with people who start praying, who start reading their Bible, who start doing the things they know they should do. That's how all the revivals have started. Just... um, one of the great awakenings in American history was started by a young rich woman who set on her way to pray for the country. Do you know that? Yeah. So you need to pray, need to be active in this. You can't do everything, but you can do something. The Holy Spirit has put something on your heart today to do. Do it. Do it. Do something here. That's for leadership. Now, leadership has to do with a lot of things. we said this. You've got to keep a clear head. All right, leaders, if you don't chase, that's a, that's a great thing. If you've got a leader who doesn't chase a woman, boy, that's great. got a leader who doesn't go out and get drunk, make decisions without a clear head, that's great. Do that. Be careful of this. You need uh, to also have advocacy for an underclass. You need to have well-constructed plans. You need to use force appropriately. I just kid you when I say stuff about Betsy get the car running. You, when, I, when I go to church on a Sunday morning and I feel deeply convicted about something, it feels good. I say thank you God that someone told me what I needed to hear. Thank you for that. And I know you feel this way too. This isn't from me. This thing isn't wrapped in a blanket of my own opinions. This is this is coming from the scripture and I know you'll receive it. So the only question is what would God have you do as individuals and continue to do as a group as well. I, I know you'll take some action here. You care about this. So Uh, Thanks uh, for the listening today.